Wow. If you would please turn your Bible to the book of 2 Samuel. As we continue our study in the life of David. Now, I titled this uh, part two of David's life. And it's an awesome study to see David now exiting one season of his life, entering now this new season. The, the title of my study is called Victory and Warfare. If you guys recall, when we ended last week in this life story of David, the, the boy who was a shepherd, raised in his father's household of eight brothers, and he was trained there as a shepherd, trained in the seasons of trial, fighting against the lion, the bear that would come after the sheep that would be under his protection. Being given victory over those seasons and then facing off with the giant Goliath and God giving him again victory there. And King Saul being a, a, a threat to his life as David is pursuing the will of God in his life. You see, the prophet Samuel had anointed David to be king over Israel, to lead the nation of Israel in godliness because King Saul had failed to do so. And perhaps as David was pursuing after this call of God in his life, he was disheartened and anxious and uh, perhaps he was at times doubting if God was going to get him to where he promised to get him, which would be that place as king over Israel. But David still had faith. David was a man after God's own heart. And David sought the Lord. Now, when we closed the book of 1 Samuel, we ended with the tragic end of King Saul. You see, King Saul and his sons went out to battle. And they were killed to fall into the hands of the Amalekites. He thrust himself through with his own sword. Before that, he asked his servant, his armor bearer, to thrust him through, but the armor bearer was fearful. So he took the sword and stabbed himself through with it. And the armor bearer did likewise, stabbed himself through with his sword. And we see this tragic end of Saul's life in disobedience as there was much disobedience in his life. There is an interesting lesson in Saul's life because in this battle that he was facing off with the Amalekites, these were men whom he should have already destroyed prior when God had commanded him, but he didn't listen. And now the Amalekites, which symbolize the flesh, because they were not dealt with, came back and they led to Saul's death. So now with Saul's passing, we begin chapter one of 2 Samuel, verse one. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned 
from the slaughter of the Amalekites. And David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. That word prostrate, it means to bow down in obeisance. The Amalekite here, he's paying respects to David as king. The word for prostrate, it means shakah, and it's a form of worship. And there's times in our life when we, in form of worship, completely lay ourselves out on the floor. There, there's an awesome blessing when you just fully surrender to the Lord, not only uh, in spirit, but literally, and just focus full meditation upon God and upon prayer. It's written in the Bible, and it's biblical. In verse 3, And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, the people have fled from battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his sons are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son are dead? Then the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. He said to me again, please stand over me and kill me for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and I've brought them here to my Lord. Now, in these verses, we are given a second account of the death of King Saul. And it's interesting because earlier, at the end of 1 Samuel, one records that Saul, he committed this suicide, thrust himself through, and that's where the story of Saul's death ends. But now this Amalekite is giving information that was not mentioned in First Samuel. So the question people often ask, is the Amalekite telling the truth here? And the answer might kill them. Or perhaps the Amalekite is lying. Why would he lie? Because he knows that King David is next in line as the possible king. So he takes with him the crown and the bracelet on King Saul's hands and takes it to David. Maybe thinking he might receive a reward. 
Now, we really don't know the answer to this question. So when the Bible is silent, we also must remain silent. Now, one thing that I do want to kind of camp on this idea for a moment, because it's an issue that we still battle with. You see it on the news every day. And that issue is suicide. It's tragic when somebody takes their life. Someone created in the image of God for whatever circumstance takes their life. Now, let me start off this conversation by saying that the Bible does not give a direct answer to this question of is suicide a damning sin? It doesn't give this direct answer of every suicidal person going to hell or heaven. So what does the Bible say? Well, here are a list of six different verses I want to give you guys. And you can note these verses down. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read these verses to you. But you can note the chapter and verse down. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So that there puts an importance on our bodies, on our lives. And it said that God would destroy those who destroy the temple of the Lord. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 17, it says, Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? That's Ecclesiastes seven seventeen. And again, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not murder, right out of the Ten Commandments. So that's the seriousness of suicide, that it is sin, that it is wrong. But now, let me show you a few verses that give me hope. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, it says this, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any one other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, that was Romans 8, 38 and 39. Again, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, to me, we don't know in those certain cases. We don't know that last person's moment. Because if that person believes on Jesus Christ in that last moment, if they call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Again, in John chapter 10, verse 28, it says, and I give them eternal life 
and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. See the power of God to keep his children. So suicide. Many times the act is a condition You see, the same way that your heart or your lungs can fail, causing death, the mind can also fail, causing serious, abnormal thoughts. And God knows this. And he has grace for his children who make this mistake, this sin. Now, what the question that must be asked is, are you truly saved? And that I can't answer for you. See, God knows. And there's going to be evidence of a transformed life. But we have to let God be judge. See, I can assume that a person practicing sin, biblically speaking, will not inherit eternal life. Because that's what the Bible says. Not that I assume it. That's what the Bible teaches. But I assume the position of that person's soul. Because I don't know, God knows. But I cannot judge their salvation. That's God's role. I will warn those who I fear are in danger. I will warn them, hey, I'm I'm concerned for your salvation. And then I'm going to comfort those who I believe are wrongfully condemning themselves. And show them in scripture, look at that God loves you that there's nothing that can separate us from God. And either person, I'm going to point both those people to God. When I, when I first came to know the Lord, my position on, on suicide actually was, was different. I was thinking that all people who commit suicide went straight to hell because I was thinking, well, that's the last act that they have. They commit sin. And then I began to hear people explain and, and see how the Bible teaches that we are body, mind, soul, spirit, and the mind can be broken. And I began to understand God's grace and how God is sovereign over everything and in control and that God knows. So I have to give hope to the living. And that's what we preach, that Jesus is sovereign over all. In verse 11, Therefore, David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. You see David's lament here over Saul. Despite how Saul had treated him, constantly having David on the run, David loved Saul. And him and his people, they mourned and fasted. And then in verse 13, then David said to the young man who told him, where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it you were not afraid 
to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed. Then David called one of the young men and said, go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, your blood is on your own head for your own mouth has testified against you saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Whoa. See now here in these verses, we see that going against the Lord's anointed in this Amalekite's case led to his own death because vengeance belongs to the Lord. Now, Perhaps when he was giving this crown and bracelet over to David, David was just so broken by the entire account that his best friend, Jonathan, was killed and Saul. And perhaps this Amalekite expecting reward was seemingly cheerful and and David, he ended his life because he went against the Lord's anointed. Either way, the main lesson is that you don't go against the and over Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. You see David here, he's mourning this great loss for Saul. In James chapter three, verses five and six, even so, The tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. You see, Our words can create so much damage in a person's life, in our own lives. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful of gossip and of idle talk, of shaming a person. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, when David commits his great sin, by adultery with Bathsheba and the murdering of her husband. The prophet tells David, he says, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And may that not ever be said of us. May we never bring a black eye to Jesus. May we never bring the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme God because we can't control our mouth, because we sin wickedly and it's put on public display. 
So David writes in his song, verse 21, O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there. For the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. And the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Wow. In these verses here, David at the beginning pronounced a curse on Mount Gilboa. And the interesting thing is that to this day, when you go and see Mount Gilboa, it's barren. All around it, there's a bunch of uh, fields and, and pastures and plains that are green, but the mount itself is quite barren. So there is this curse that David put on this mountain. And then fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. So we see this great brotherly love that David had for Jonathan. Remember, they created this covenant with each other where David would, when he was to take the throne, look after Jonathan's sons and protect that household. Now there are those uh, Bible critics and scholars who would take these verses and use verse 26 to point out that David and Jonathan had a homosexual relationship but we do see David's love for Saul and Jonathan. In chapter two, verse one. It happened after this, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron, that he desired, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now, sometimes in life, we, we come to proverb. When we acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways, he's going to direct us. So even in your ignorance, even in your doubtfulness, acknowledge God. Say, God, I don't know what to do. I want you. And they told David, and they put him on the wall of Jabesh Gilead, heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. All the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. So they took Saul and his son's bodies and they cremated them. Now, here's another interesting point concerning cremation. You see, I've had people ask me, uh, does a Christian have to be buried? What about cremation? Does that affect the afterlife? 
and I want to teach you that the Bible does not teach that cremation has effect on your salvation or your resurrection. Nor in the Bible does it teach in the resurrection, live with Christ. You are blessed of the Lord. He was a nurse. It says, being confident of this very, we're going to learn concerning. You guys saw the Ten Commandments in Charlton Heston, or perhaps you saw the new one. But the Israelites, if you've read the Bible, the story, allegorically speaking, they were there enslaved in Egypt. And Egypt, it was a symbol of the world. It was a symbol of sin. And then Moses, the prophet, led them out by the Lord. It's symbolic of salvation. And then they're led into the wilderness where they wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of a lack of belief. And this wilderness season, it's this representation of the struggle for a believer who is saved, of the struggle of sin, the struggle of the flesh, the season of wilderness. Perhaps you feel as though you are in a season of wilderness. But even in the wilderness, God was with them, guiding them, protecting them. Now, many people then take the promised land when they finally enter into Israel as being heaven. This is now the heaven place, but it wouldn't really be a accurate symbolic representation, the promised land. And here's why. Because even in the promised land, they still had to fight battles. So if they're fighting the battles in the promised land, the promised land would be better represented as the victorious Christian life, which is awesome. You're walking in victory with the Lord, but there's still battles to be fought. Now, as Christians, again, we are not exempt from trials. So I would encourage us to find God in every season. Open yourself to his grace. Open yourself to his love, to his peace. Whether you are barely even in a relationship with God, accept him. Come out of Egypt, come out of the world, come out of sin. Accept his salvation. Let the old life die fully and completely. And if you find yourself in a, a season of, of confusion, but you're saved, but there's much uh, just wilderness and perhaps uncertainty of wondering, of unsurety of what God is calling you to, even there, God is with you. Find God, find his peace in that season. Allow Christ to live with you in that presence. And then, mature and grow and enter into that promised life that he has for you where there's still going to be battles to be fought. But you can rest assured that God will be with you and that he has already given you the victory. And that's why we rejoice because we know the battle belongs to the Lord and he's made us more than conquerors in Christ Jesus.
So David now has entered this season of his life, finally as king, and there's still gonna be battles. Let's look at verse eight. It says, but Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanim, and he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over Israel. Ishbosheth's Saul's son was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Now in these verses, we see this division amongst the Israelites. The division was between Saul's son, Ishbosheth, and David. You see, both were made king. But God had selected David to be king over Israel. Now, of the 12 tribes, because remember, there's 12 tribes in the Israelite people. Of the 12 tribes, at this point, only Judah was following after King David. And the rest were following after Saul. In verse 12, now Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. Then Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. So they arose and went over by number, 12 from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 from the servants of David. You see now, with this division between Saul's men and David's men, there's still battles. And I see here that even though David has been anointed king over the tribe of Judah, that he still now faces trial. Now these men, they, of Saul and of David, in a bloodthirsty sport, Abner and Joab, Abner being from Saul's, Joab being from David's, they decide to let their young men fight before them. The following battle that we're about to read, it shows the reality of how dark the people of God were recorded being. You see, the Bible, it tells us the account, the way it truthfully happened. And many times, it gets ugly. Now in verse 16, and each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called the field of sharp swords, which is in Gibeon. So there was a fierce battle that day and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the foot 
as a wild gazelle? He answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and lay hold. Why? Because he did Saul's cousin. So we have these, these family uh, dramas and family beef, you call it. And he didn't want to fight this younger brother because he knew his older brother, Joab, was a cruel man, a dangerous man. And someone to note as we continue on in David's life that Joab would be so loyal to David as a commander, but Joab became obnoxious to David because he was so violent and murderous. So Joab, note him as we continue to see this account of David's life. And in verse 23, however, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear so that the spear came out of his back and he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place fell down and died, stood still. Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amah, which is before Gaia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind with his band. How long will it be then? until you tell the people to return from pursuing and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. There were 20 dead from Saul's men. I'm sorry, 20 dead from David's men, but 360 men were defeated on Saul's side. So God is giving David the victory now. And in verse 32, then they took up Asahel and buried him. In his, and in our life as believers, we're going to experience battle every day. I would encourage you to stay humble before the Lord. To be expecting the unexpected. To be ready for those battles that are still going to come. Jesus promised us that in this life, we would have much tribulation. It's a promise I, I don't wish that was in the Bible, but it is there. Now, what then is our hope? Our hope is in Christ Jesus. That the ultimate warfare, the ultimate battle, what was most important of our entire lives has already been won by Jesus, by his death and resurrection, by his crucifixion and his rising from the grave. He has given us a new life. So the lessons of, of this new life now that we get to have where we experience Christ every day is that he's taking us to that place of fulfillment. He's taking us to that place of calling just as we see here in David's life, every step of our life is preparation for the next. So don't hold on to anything so tightly that when God asks it of you, 
that you wouldn't give it to him. But fully surrender to the Lord. And may he direct all your paths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that if there's anyone listening, Father, Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, for those who are hurting, that you would remind them of your love. I pray, Father, that you would remind them, Father, that there's nothing that could snatch your children away. Father, that there's nothing even close to your strength, Lord God that you are all powerful to keep your children. That the plans that you have for your children, Father, the calling and the gift, Lord God, are irrevocable. Father, that the plans are of good and of hope. May we trust you, Father, in every season of our lives. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would give that person, a, a supernatural empowerment, Lord God, of hope, of peace, of love, of fulfillment, of contentment, and that your church, Lord God, would continue to grow and to bloom. Father, I, I pray for all those listening, Father, that you would continue to lead and guide us, Father. May we trust you that through this time. We ask, Father, for your provision, we ask, Father, that you would save us from sickness. And Father, just use us. Use us mightily. We love you, Father. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's end with one more song. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a savior, the hope of nations. Savior. He can move the mountains My God is mighty to save He is mighty to save Forever author of salvation He rose and conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave Shine your light and let the whole world see For the glory of the risen King Jesus shine your light and let the whole world see singing for the glory of the risen King Savior he can move the mountains my God is mighty to save he is mighty to save forever author of salvation he rose and conquered the grave 
Jesus conquered the grave. You're my Savior. Move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He's mighty to save. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the blessed. Have a great week. We love you guys. We'll see you Sunday morning in Jesus' name.